Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for being here. Later in the show, we are going to talk about black politics in the context of the current presidential election. Where do black voters interests lie, which parties are actually addressing the issues of black voters, and what would an agenda in a presidential campaign look like that was focused on improving the lives of black voters. Donald Trump, of course, visited Detroit a few weeks ago, got a lot of criticism for not really addressing African-American issues while he was here. Was he really talking to white voters while he was here? Uh, But even the Democrats uh, from time to time are questioned and tested on this issue. How much do they actually deliver for African-American communities? We'll talk with Lester Spence, an associate professor of political science at Johns Hopkins University, and Farai Chidea, a senior writer with 538.com. So you're not going to want to miss that conversation. Uh, But first, uh, Michigan has been shortchanging its cities, towns, and counties $4 billion a year. That's according to a new lawsuit against the state filed by public interest attorneys and local government officials. They say this has been happening for more than two decades. If the lawsuit is successful, that money would go a long way toward helping local units of government, which have been struggling for a long, long time here in Michigan. Of course, the Detroit bankruptcy is the primary example of those struggles, but it is far from the The only one, if you talk to people in cities and towns and counties across uh, Michigan, they can tell you how tight their budgets are and how little aid they feel like they're getting from the state. Uh, And if this lawsuit is successful, uh, forces the state to do better by those subdivisions, uh, those governmental subdivisions, it would send public officials in Lansing scrambling to fix uh, what I I would imagine they would describe as a massive budget hole. Of course, Lansing has said that the shrinking nature of support to cities and towns and villages and counties is about uh, their own budgetary problems. Here to talk about this issue is someone who's been deeply involved with it for a very long time and is involved in the lawsuit. John Moak is a professor of law at Wayne State University. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, uh, Stephen. It's uh, good to be here. Yeah. Uh, you and I have had this conversation many times in, in the past about uh, the, the political question uh, behind whether the state gives enough support to cities. Uh, now you're moving this into another arena with the, the, the legal argument that the state has has violated the, the uh, its own obligations to support cities in a way that the courts ought to force uh, a change to. Well, there was a, uh, a talk given uh, almost two years ago by a local official that said that uh, his estimate was <clears throat> that the state had shorted uh, local governments, uh, $4 billion, or uh, $6 billion, excuse me, over the past uh, 20 years. And I asked uh, uh, several local officials whether that uh, was, it was their view as well, and they said, well, it was. And I said, well, what are you going to do about it? And they said, well, there's not a lot that we can do about it. We're very busy cutting budgets. Uh, we're very busy uh, uh, laying off uh, workers, uh, trying to meet end, make ends meet, and uh, we've tried to appeal to the legislature and uh, – they don't seem to hear our plea, so uh, we don't know what to do. And I said, well, let me take a look at it from a legal perspective. Um, perhaps there is a uh, basis in the state constitution to 
require the state to, in, to increase the amount of spending on local governments. And uh, lo and behold, as we looked at this, that issue, we found the Headley Amendment passed in 1978 that introduced uh, 10 new sections to the state constitution, mm-hmm. Article 9, sections uh, 25 to 34. And the Headley Amendment was known primarily as a tax limitation amendment because it was passed, passed as part of a national tax tax uh, limitation reform movement. But Richard Headley included uh, two aspects to his amendment. Uh, one was a tax limitation aspect, limiting the ability of local governments to raise taxes, particularly without a vote of the people. Yes. And the other was to uh, protect local governments against actions by the state. Actions where uh, that the, the, the local governments are protected against are uh, the state shifting a tax burden to them that they would have to pick up uh, themselves the state imposing mandates on them without funding those mandates. And the one we're looked, we've looked at most carefully is the state's requirement that it maintain uh, spending or essentially revenue sharing in local governments at the same percentage level of, sta- of the state budget as uh, existed in 1978, which uh, at that time was estimated to be 41.6% of all state revenue from state revenue sources. That means excluding federal revenue coming to the state, but from state revenue sources, 41.6% is to be shared with local governments. That includes uh, townships, cities, uh, 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 villages, and counties, uh-huh. as well as other local governments. And we also discovered that in the 1980s, uh, the state was found <clears throat> to have miscalculated that their, the numbers because Oakland County uh, basically brought an action against the state uh, arguing that mental health payments to counties should not be counted uh, as spending on local governments because mental health services were a responsibility of the state and counties in performing mental health services for the state were not really performing it for themselves yeah. but for the state. So the resolution to that uh, dispute was that the court agreed and rather than excluding mental health payments, uh, the number was increased from 41.6% to 48.97% where it stands today. And that's what, that's what the state is supposed to spend uh, percentage-wise, uh, giving, giving support to local, local units of government. That's correct. Yeah. 48.97% of all state revenue is to be spent on local units of government, and a large part of that, a substantial part of that, is revenue sharing with with cities, right. villages, and townships. Right, but and we're <laughs> not close to that if you look at just revenue sharing today, for instance. No, well, revenue mean, sharing itself is not close, but it also yeah. includes funding of schools. Right. And, and, uh, but so what we did is to take a look at whether or not there have been other possible violations that uh, have not been incover- uncovered. Uh, regarding these uh, three aspects, uh, not not uh, shifting a tax to local government burden to local governments, uh, f- the question of, of mandates on local governments and maintaining these, this percentage. And uh, we have concluded that uh, at least in four instances, uh, there have been further violations, and that's the basis of the recent lawsuit that's been commenced against the state. Yeah. And and the goal obviously is to is to force some sort of reckoning uh, in the courts uh, of, of what these provisions in in Headley mean, but I also su- suspect that that uh, this starts a conversation, a bigger political conversation about the relationship between the state 
and uh, local uh, local divisions of government. I mean, uh, and and that's been missing as well. That the state has been. Uh, pinching uh, local governments uh, financially for a long time. Certainly, we're headed in the opposite direction now in a very small way. I mean, I think the governor uh, uh, brags a little too much about how much increase there has been for, uh, for, for revenue sharing and cities and support for them. But there hasn't been a real dialogue in a long time in this state about the way that we fund cities, about the support that we expect the state to give to them to be able to provide services. And, and uh, one of the things people, uh, I think, uh, don't realize is that the, the, the main service providers in their lives in terms of government are these local units of government, your police, your fire, your uh, street cleaning or, or, or garbage pickup. All of, that, all of those things are about local government. Well, that's precisely right. The uh, not only do, does the lawsuit uh, have as its uh, purpose uh, uh, correcting a situation to the extent it can be corrected, but but also uh, raising the level of interest and focus on uh, on the uh, disparity that now exists between what the funding available and the needs of local governments and the responsibility of the state. You know, the three level of governments: the federal government, the state, and the city. The city is the most important in terms of the quality of life of individuals, as you pointed out. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is John Moak, a professor of law at Wayne State University. We're talking about a lawsuit that has been filed uh, by public interest attorneys and local government officials against the state of Michigan, uh, alleging that the state is, is violating the Constitution uh, by not living up to requirements in terms of the amount of money support uh, it gives to local units of government. Of course, this is a conversation we have a lot here uh, on Detroit Today, a conversation that has dominated uh, popular political conversation for some time uh, in the state of Michigan as we've watched cities, cities like the city of Detroit, uh, go through tremendous strain uh, financially because in large part of uh, cuts from from state government, uh, reduced support for the local services. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, talk about whether you think uh, the state is doing its part with the uh, local units of government, whether you think uh, uh, we ought to rethink the way the state supports local governments. Is revenue sharing broken, so broken that we can't uh, that we can't fix it? That we need to come up with a new way. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number to join the conversation. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Professor Milk, I, I I would imagine that uh, that in the conversations that you've had with uh, with uh, local officials. Uh, the the stories they can tell about the difference uh, that this has made are pretty harrowing. I mean, it, it, if you go back 10, 15, 20 years in the state of Michigan, this used to be a, the kind of place that supported cities uh, quite admirably uh, and and made sure that cities had, had that kind of money. It, the the paradigm has shifted almost a hundred percent in the opposite direction. There has been a big shift, and uh, uh, the purpose uh, is, and the hope is that uh, that shift can be the pendulum can begin to swing the other way. But there there are two things that are happening here with local governments. One is that uh, as the real estate market uh, basically collapsed, uh, the amount of revenue that they were able to generate locally to uh, use uh, and combine with that which they were receiving from the state became dramatically reduced. And so to th at, uh, during a number of years during the uh, 
bleak uh, economic times in Michigan, the state was keeping uh, more of the revenue for itself and reducing revenue to local governments. And local governments were collecting <clears throat> less revenue from their own tax base because the property values had fallen. This put them in a very critical situation, many of them probably uh, contributing significantly to uh, their distress or did, did that and, and to their uh, being at risk of having an emergency manager appointed. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when, when you think about uh, revenue sharing and the way it's changed, uh, I mean, we have two provisions for, con- for uh, revenue sharing. There's a constitutional provision that the state can't alter, but then there is uh, the discretionary uh, uh, provision, and that's where we've seen these uh, reductions. Do you think that it's, it's, there's a practical way to fix that relationship? In other words, uh, is there enough money even being generated at the state level to go back to reasonable uh, uh, revenue sharing levels uh, for cities like Detroit? Uh, or do we really have to start thinking about other ways? I mean, one of the things that, uh, that has always struck me as odd about uh, the state of Michigan is the way it limits local governments from going and getting their own revenue, uh, the, the limits on income tax, uh, certainly um, uh, uh, local units of government are not uh, allowed by constitution here to, to levy property taxes, or uh, I'm sorry, sales taxes in any way. Um, uh, is there, do we need to, to rethink the model for funding cities, or do we just need to go back to the way we were doing it with revenue sharing before? Well, I think there is a need, uh, <clears throat> as all this moves forward, to rethink the way in which cities are allowed to generate their own revenue. And uh, many of the folks who uh, you know are, are opposed to increased taxes might not be so opposed if uh, the options available to cities included the right of the electorate to vote uh, on increasing taxes that they, they might be, uh, be imposed upon them. But the, the whole uh, funding structure uh, for local units of government uh, needs to be reexamined and uh, some thinking out of the box uh, yeah. introduced uh, to come up with the right solution. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Greg, Greg and Fraser. What's on your mind, Greg? Hello, thank you. Hey. Um, I just wanted to mention uh, um, uh, about uh, if the state could create a state bank, um, operate as a, a state of Michigan. Um, uh, number one, they it would keep all uh, money local. Um, it, it, the state would have ten times the amount of money to lend out due to frank, fractional reserve banking. Um, a bank has unique power to create money. So, um, uh, like I said, the state would have, uh, due to that, um, they have to have, a, I think it's 10 to 1 ratio to the money on deposit so they could lend the money out to local communities. Um, I believe uh, the state of North Dakota does this. I believe it was the number one state to increase spending to local communities because it has a state bank. Um, and when uh, local communities uh, could get loans from the state, um, then as they pay back interest to the, to the state, it would have more money to lend. It would just be uh, a positive, uh, you know, yeah. uh, increasing balance in the state fund that would be able to lend out more money to the local community. Yeah, Greg, Greg, uh, you, you call pretty consistently and make this point uh, when we're talking about uh, financial issues. And I, I certainly appreciate uh, your consistency, enough, if nothing else. Uh, uh, but but I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, Professor Moak, whether, whether a state bank is, is one of the ways – 
we were just talking about that, some out of the box thinking in terms of funding <coughs> local units of government. Is this one of the ones that uh, we ought to have? On well, the table? let me make one comment, and that is, uh, you don't really don't want to. Well, the big problem right now is covering operating costs of local governments. You don't want to be borrowing money from anybody to be paying operating costs. You want your revenues and your expenses balanced. Um, and generally, you borrow money for uh, capital improvements, uh, and then out of your uh, you know annual budget, you have to pay back the the cost of the loan. But uh, I mean, I'm willing to think about it further as we go. But uh, borrowing money for operating costs is not a good practice. That's part of the that was part of the problem that got uh, cities like Detroit into, into exactly, trouble. Exactly, exactly. In, the in their in their case, they paid a high interest rate, but you don't even want to borrow to pay a low interest rate. Right. Right. Okay, uh, Professor John Moak of the Wayne State Law School. Thanks very much for being with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about black voters in the 2016 presidential election. What would an agenda look like that would uh, address the issues that African-Americans have in this country? What would it look like from Republicans? What would it look like from Democrats? Stay with us on Detroit Today.